Hello, and welcome to Ignite Your Purpose. I am your host, Karen Zafra-Vera. Join me here every week for your weekly inspiration and guidance call. We're going to empower you, create enthusiasm, plant a seed, to recognize and peel off the layers to see your true, beautiful I am. Our guests will definitely motivate you to take action today, to create a new belief, and ignite your soul for more of this gift of life. So join us today, here. Tune in now. Good morning and welcome back to Ignite Your Purpose. I am Karam Zafravera and I am your host today. And honestly, girls, ladies, listeners, I have such an amazing guest today. She from we met at a networking event from a mutual friend and we I felt closely connected to reach out and touch touch base with her. And I don't know why, because there was nothing necessarily in that we had in common precisely, but I felt called to connect with Miss Jennifer. And, um, and I did, and we had our first conversation and she brought me to tears. And I thought mm-hmm. it was the perfect, the perfect guest to have here today. And so I want to welcome Jennifer. How are you? I am. That was a very warm introduction. Thank you so much. Um, I am so excited to be here and this is what you're doing is exactly, you know, um, what I love. So, uh, I was definitely drawn to you too. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you. So let me formally introduce you. You are Dr. Jennifer Hinshi and PhD a CEO and founder of Fertile Fertility Science, Inc. That is a mouthful. Yeah. And I have, (laughs) and the more I speak to you, the more, and we were just laughing, the more I say, girl, your bio is all left mind. (laughs) It's left side of yours. Um, I love it. I love it. I love it. So let me just give our listeners a little bit of a, of a brief. Dr. Jen Henshi is on a mission to bring an affordable infertility option to those who need it. And I have a feeling, and I know that today we're going to find out why your passion. Jennifer is a wife, a mother, innovator, and passionate advocate for women's health. She was also Northern Illinois University's first recipient of a doctoral degree in bioinformatics. Did I say that right? Yes, biology and computer science. They made up a word, I think, for it. I think they did. (laughs) Right? Girl, this is such a, a mouthful of you in your bio, but... I want to, um, and this is only a glimpse of, of, you know, Dr. Jennifer's and if, you know, I'm sorry for the informal when I say Jennifer. Um, No, no, no. It's a family joke that when people (laughs) call me Dr. Jen, it usually is like when I do something silly or stupid, they're like, okay, Dr. Jen. Um, So that's so funny because we do that. We, we also mess with my daughter, my oldest one, you know, and, and when she does something that is, you know, funny and just like, yeah. you know, just not 
not all in, we're like, yes, and you're the genius in the family, right? Right. Yes. That's kind of what it's, <laughs> yeah. it's you're like Absolutely. a running joke. So my husband Absolutely. still giggles when people call me Dr. Jen, but. Oh, um, cool. <laughs> cool. Well, I want to dive in because I know that, you know, you have so much to share with us. And this is what I love about I get to do this with people is to hear your stories. And I know that your stories inspire our listeners. And so here's the question that I start with all of my guests is what has been a challenge, a season in your life that has made you really dive in to and that and has created the version of the woman that you have become. And where does that start for you? Where does that take us through it? Gosh, I'm going to start. I'm going to try not to cry early on. Uh, <laughs> so I, I really, for me, it was the season of uh, experiencing infertility. And I didn't know it at the time, but it was probably about three months after I got married um, and then for about the next, see, I went through 16 months of it. So, um, yeah. for those 16 months, I almost, I almost ruined my marriage and I almost, you know, I had to go and think really hard about what my life was going to look like, um, in the future. So that, that was definitely the most challenging so, time for me. So you found out that you just were, you had complications. Yeah. I, you know, having that bio is great. Mm. Right. But it doesn't actually translate the biology part anyway into Mm. I, I was 32. I had just gotten married and I went off birth control and was like, okay, I'll get pregnant next month. Mm. And then it didn't happen. And I was like, that's weird because I think I should know how to do this. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't happening. And then I had to realize that I didn't know basic things about my own cycle. And I was, it was, I didn't know how to track. I only knew how to not get pregnant. Mm. I didn't know how to try to get pregnant. Oh my God, Jennifer, that is so powerful because that is every young woman, every woman's circumstances, we're always thinking about how to possibly for the ones that, right, avoid the pregnancy, to hold up on the pregnancy, to plan this life that we want. And we never really focus on, there is also a process to get pregnant. There's also, there's, you know, there's, Oh my gosh, that's so powerful. No, and yeah, there's so um at the time I honestly felt so isolated and I felt shame because I wasn't able to get pregnant. I didn't know what that meant for my marriage. I didn't know what that meant for my future. And so I also was like, does that mean professionally? At the time I was, you know, doing a my postdoc at the University of Colorado Anschutz in medical oncology. And so I'm like, am I a sham? You know, like, mm-hmm. am I a fraud professionally? Because here I am like a biologist, mm-hmm. not able, it was a whole nother level of shame, yes. like not able to figure out how to get pregnant and thinking it was just me. And so 
And, you know, and um, I want to say, Jennifer, that it's almost like it's a, I, and I think that, and uh, again, I'm not necessarily speaking from experience. I, I did have what um, most people wouldn't even consider a complication. It was a complication to me because I didn't know anything different. But again, the idea of the shame that happens because God, it's so easy that we're the first ones that blame ourselves for not being mm-hmm. able to accomplish something that seems so natural and almost a responsibility as a woman to be able to do. And I think there there's so much that comes with that because there's so much of an image and judgment and self-criticism um, and then on top of that, for you to be in this medical field, mm-hmm. it was like a double jam, double jam, double jam, right? Like it was yeah. hitting you harder, even because you were in this field of, of, of medicine and research and all of that. Yeah. And it, it like started where if I, I, I mean, I wish that I had the skills I have now to be able to kind of navigate mm-hmm. that time in my life. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. grateful for it. But at the time, I if I felt like if I spoke up and started being like, hey, I'm struggling to conceive, that everyone would professionally think that, you know, I was a fraud or and then, you know, on a personal level, just to my friends and family, if I started opening up to them, a few of them I did, they would be like, just relax sweetie, relax, everything will be fine. Uh, so I, I felt this shame that if I started telling my story um, professionally, that what would that mean? Would people think that I'm, you know, less, less of a scientist? Um, mm. And then to my friends, people, people are quick to want to comfort you. And so they'll say things like, you know what? Just relax. It'll happen. Um, or it's not meant to be. And I know their intentions are good, but it's, it's so hurtful. Um, I would love to be able to relax. I would love for it to just happen. Um, but it consumes you and it feels like I describe it as I felt like pregnancy announcements like hunted me down. Like they were everywhere. Everyone was pregnant except me. And it was just so isolating. You know, and that brings me to the fact that, and I preach this all the time, what we focus on, we're constantly inviting, right? What we desire so much and we're focusing on not having it. We see it everywhere else, everywhere else. And we don't see it we don't see that happening to us. And, you know, I can totally understand in, in, and not just in that, in that particular area, but, you know, when people do comfort you and people are saying something and you're like, like, I don't, I don't need the pity. I don't need this, the, the, I don't need those mm-hmm. words, even though they may be encouraging, but I don't need that. And so um, it's hard. It's hard to, not only are you, dealing with your own emotions, but then you put, you have, you almost feel like you have to protect from reacting, right? Because yeah. you're protecting their emotions and you're like full of all of this responsibility that you take on when it's not even yours to take on. Yeah. And I, that's a beautifully said, 
because I, I ended up almost putting on this armor, this shell around me, because if I, where I wouldn't let people in, like anyone in, because just like you said, I would react. I remember I was sitting in a large conference room and I was going to be talking about my work and it was the day I was supposed to, I'm going to try to say this without crying, um, but it was, it was um, the day that I finally got to test for pregnancy, you know, the next month. And I got my period right before I went on stage to mm-hmm. talk about my research and I went in the bathroom and cried. I went in the bathroom and had to cry and sob and say, this is another month where I felt like a failure, another month of, wow. um, and then what I had to, I described it as I would, I did this a lot. I would go into a bathroom, I would cry, and then I would you know, take my armor off, feel the feelings, sort of, but not, <laughs> not yeah. in a healthy way, put my armor back on, you know, I would carry eyeliner and mascara in my purse to be like, okay, you cried, but cover it up and buck up and go out there. And mm-hmm. it, it was so much to carry. I just, I think that's where my passion comes from is I know how isolated and alone I felt. And I wish that I knew how common this was and how to find a safe space. It might not be your best friend. It might not be your family. It might not be to find a safe and reliable source that you at least can vent some of these feelings to and work through. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I can't even imagine um, the loneliness, mm-hmm. right? Because uh, yeah, it, it's just those, it's those moments where there isn't, you don't know any better, right? Like, so you, if you don't, it, and it's something new, so you don't even know where to start to begin to seek. It's like, it's enough work just dealing with your emotions than to put yes. yourself start searching for the help and the guidance. And, you know, and I want to say that most of the times the help and the guidance doesn't come from anyone in your surroundings. It's usually always an outside source. And, you know, sometimes we put ourselves in places where we're trying to find the comfort or trying to find that, that shoulder to lean on, but it's, um, it's not, it's usually not anyone that is in your family that is near you, that is close to you. It's someone else. Yeah. And I've, you know, I've realized, I've realized that now I'm, I'm about five years out from that exact moment. And, um, I found myself talking about my infertility, um, after I had gone through it. Um, not everyone goes through it though, but I found myself wanting to let people know after the fact, because I kept hearing people go like, Oh, so-and-so struggling. And I was like, give them my number. Mm. Like give, I just felt inclined to be like, they need someone to talk to. When I did that, all of a sudden my phone starts, you know, like there's so many people that even today I've connected with that I might not have talked to in 15 years. And they're like, Hey, saw you went through infertility. I'm struggling. And it means so much to me because I know how brave you have to be when you're in that spot. Yes. And it's like, makes my heart feel good just to be able to say like, I get it. It sucks. Like I'm here for you. 
I'm not going to tell you to relax. I'm not going to tell you, you know, yeah, it'll happen. It might not happen. There's whatever, whatever I can do to support you, let me. And so mm. it's, it's almost like I'm trying to, you know, be there for myself five years ago. Um, I just want people to know that it isn't just them. One in five women in the U S will have, will have trouble conceiving after one year. Wow. Wow. And so that's 12 times that they have to try and fail to get pregnant before they're, they can see a specialist. That's incredible. Let me ask you. So you took yourself through this particular, you know, like you, you went and you spoke, what happened next? What was a turning point for you? Yeah, that was, that was just one, one month, but I, um, at 32, I had to wait, I had to wait 12 months. I had to wait a year before, um, I was given a referral to a reproductive endocrinologist and that's crazy. 12 months, 12 months. And I remember at my eight, my eight month, it was my yearly checkup with my OBGYN. And I said, (laughs) of course, talk about left brain. (laughs) Um, I went in, I'm not even joking with like a notebook of all of my ovulation data and was like, here, figure this out. Mm -hmm. And she laughed at me. No way. And I started crying and I was like, why are you laughing? And she's like, it just takes a year. You're fine, sweetie. And I was like, not your sweetie. And it's not fine. And if, if my OBGYN wasn't even a safe space. Okay. So she laughed and she told you, you were okay. And yeah. And then it was just so common and to that it would take 12 months. I needed to come back and see her in 12 months. And then she could refer me to a reproductive endocrinologist, which is an infertility specialist. And uh, so hold on one second. So you waited 12 months to get to her and she was telling you eight 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 months months. to get to her just was my yearly. Okay. And she Um, she told me, like when I presented all of my data to her, she was like, oh, you're being silly. Like it takes a year. It's totally normal. And I was like, that's not good enough. Um, I mean, I don't know quite how to describe it, but like I, I constantly felt like this was my last month to try. Mm. And so I was like, what if I don't have four eggs left to get me to 12 months, you know? Um, And so she's like, 12 months is the cutoff. That's when you can start seeing a specialist. And I was like, those four months were really hard. And so, I mean, at this point, um, my husband was essentially my sperm donor. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I had turned our marriage into a science experiment. And I can imagine that. I can totally see something like that happening. When I make my mind (laughs) to do something... (laughs) Um, and so I would be like, now, now, (laughs) like, let's get past. I don't need romance. I don't need any of that. Mm -hmm. Like, and now talking with him about it, I'm like, I'm really sorry that I did that. Um, Mm -hmm. and he's like, I'm glad that you recognize it now because it was really hard for 
for me. Jesus. But none of that mattered. Yeah. That's even to say, you know, on top of everything that was happening at that moment, to know that there was a whole other side on his end that he was dealing with. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I'm, and I guess at some point it was almost oblivious or not to you, but it's, and so I can say that you probably recognize it, but it wasn't any. I don't think I actually cared. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I can relate to that. I can relate to that. I can relate to, and, and I say this because when I had a full hysterectomy because Mm -hmm. of cysts that I was continuously having, I went through drastic menopause Mm -hmm. and when it was an instant, I remember waking up from surgery and literally having them, you know, literally having the flashes. And there was a period where I did not give a shit about the feelings that my husband was going through. And I can recognize the pain and the heartache that he was going through, Mm -hmm. but I didn't care because I was so into my own consumed, consumed. Yes. You know, I think sometimes, I mean, one of the most leading causes of divorce is has been shown to be infertility and mm-hmm. I now get it. You know, my husband and I have been together 11 years now, but, and I'm grateful that he, you know, stuck that out with me because yeah. <laughs> um, he knows that the quickest way to, get me to do something is to tell me I can't, but that isn't, uh, that isn't also the best for a marriage. And it put us through some hard times. Of course, we're stronger now. And I recognize now that I was oblivious, just like you said, Mm -hmm. like, I was like, I'm the one doing all this work to get us this baby, you know, like, I was like, so I'm just coming along with the ride. And, um, because, and it, it probably, I realize that doesn't make me sound like a great person, but that's the truth. I mean, that is, and that's the thing. And, and, and I, and I, this is so important because Mm -hmm. it is the truth. And most of the times we want to deny what the truth is, you know, and and as hard. And as I've been trying to heal my own, you know, issues from that time, my own version of kind of the trauma we went through together, it, it's easier to recognize now, but I, yeah, it was, it consumed 98% of my day. Absolutely. How like it was not? in my head all the time. How could it not? Absolutely. I can totally see that. And it was just, it got to the point where it was illogical because, you know, you, you have your fertile window and then you have two weeks which are awful. It's like the dreaded two week wait where you don't know if you're pregnant, but you could be pregnant, but you don't Mm -hmm. know. And you won't get a pregnancy test to turn positive for like anywhere from eight to 14 days after you ovulate because embryo has to come down and that has to actually attach. And so for those eight to 14 days, you're just sitting there like, is there a baby in me? Oh my God. Is there a baby in me? Mm Mm-hmm. Can I go see my friends and drink? Because what if there's a baby in me? Can I go? There's so many, not just drink, but like, okay, I want to go for sushi. I wanted to do that. Like, if I go have a piece of sushi, will I have a miscarriage? I mean, you feel so fragile. Yeah. And 
that's, that's like 14 days. That's two weeks. And so then when I didn't get pregnant, I would cry. Mm -hmm. I would cry in the bathroom alone, feel ashamed that like I wasn't a woman or I was deformed or like no one knew what was wrong with me. And then I would have to dust myself off and pick myself up and be like, okay, what's in next? seven days, I'm going to be fertile again. What can I do differently this month to get my child? Hmm. And it's just a roller coaster that never. So then stops. what happened next? So then the, so yeah, I, I went to the reproductive endocrinologist. I'm not even kidding. Exactly. At 12 months. Mm-hmm. Like I was like, I'm going to make the appointment for 365 days from when the OBGYN said that I could. I researched all of the reproductive endocrinologists near me. I was so excited to go to this appointment. Like I was hop, skipping, jumping like this. This is your turning point. This is my turn. I'm going to go into this medical building. I'm going to come out with the diagnosis and this you know, savior that I had researched on the internet and seen all of the beautiful Mm -hmm. babies was going to give me my child. That day I went in and they run all of the tests in one day. My husband was there too. So I, I'm in a robe, half naked, prancing from room to room. They're doing an HSG. They're doing ultrasounds. And I mean, I felt like a sideshow act that, but I didn't care. You want to come in and sure, let everyone learn from this. Like, like, and you're in this room with babies on the walls and they're taking blood and they're taking, they're poking and prodding and you're, you don't care because you're like, thank you. Take it all and figure this out. Do what you got to do. Absolutely. And they did, you know, a lot of tests too on my husband. And so after about four or five hours, they called us back and the doctor said, everything, you know, we ran all the tests that we could and everything looks great. So what happened? <laughs> that that doesn't, I instantly got so angry. I was like, everything is not great. My test can't look great. And he's like, everything is normal for you guys. Uh, so we don't know why you can't conceive. And for some reason that never crossed my mind that they would be like, everything looks great. I was ready for them to be like, you don't have a uterus or (laughs) it turns out like your husband doesn't have any sperm or something. I just needed an answer that we could Mm -hmm. work through the problem. And so when he said everything was great and then told me your diagnosis is unexplained infertility. Oh my gosh. To tell, so talk about left brain (laughs) to tell a scientist that, it literally is unexplained. And I'm like, what does that mean? And he's like, we're going to do three months of interuterine insemination or IUI. By the way, your insurance doesn't cover any of the treatments for infertility, just all the tests that they had run that morning. Mm. So I realized, oh, that's why they were so efficient. They could bill my entire insurance for all of these tests they ran in one day. Then after the tests were over, could diagnose me with unexplained infertility. And then I went into that appointment with hope and I left with a loan application for $10,000 upfront for three months of IUI. Oh my God. That is so sad. That is so heartbreaking. I was angry. Like I was, 
I, I remember, so this is my, uh, <laughs> that's a long version of my aha moment was I'm sitting there and I'm looking at these test results that all say normal, normal, normal. And we're driving and we had drove two hours to this appointment. So I'm driving home. My husband, my husband's like, well, good news is everything looks great. And I'm like, no, there has to be more tests. Like do. Yeah. There's something going on. And so I'm like, why are we going to take out a loan for a solution to a problem they don't know? Absolutely. At the time, taking out a $10,000 loan was like 25% of my income. Why? I needed to know why IUI was recommended. It's not that I wouldn't try it. It's not that I would have done anything, but I was so pissed off by the experience of being vulnerable enough to lay naked on a table and let anybody take whatever Mm -hmm. they wanted from my body. And then so callously being felt like I was like tossed into a pile of like, well, we don't know what's wrong with you. And so of course the scientist in me, I, that's really when I decided I'm going to get more informed. I went in to read all of the scientific literature I could find why is this recommended? Why is this? How common is unexplained infertility? Like I never let myself go down that rabbit hole in Google Scholar to reading all of the research on it. Kind of that anger from that appointment fueled me into the scientific research and to taking my fertility into my own hands and seeing really empowering myself to have the knowledge to make the decisions that I wanted to make before taking out a loan and going through invasive procedures. You know, and I want to say something with that, Jennifer, because most people, and and that is the turning point that that moment right there of you being upset and questioning, because most people would say, okay, this is what I got to do. Most people would accept the diagnosis of unexplained fertility. They would just say, okay, they would not have questions like, well, am I taking out a loan to fix what if you don't even know what to fix? They would not have thought about that process. And it was that that was the moment that made Mm -hmm. you dive in into that scientific research and taking that into your own hands where other people would have just thought, well, they would be they would have forgotten the actual issue and the issue would have become trying to get the loan. That's a great point. And it really was, um, if it hadn't, you know, I just now looking back on it, I have a PhD in biology. And so like to be able to know how to navigate and read those articles and then my experience, you know, in the clinic with, Mm -hmm. with how, diagnoses are, are handed out. When I started looking into the research, I was like, there's so many people that wouldn't have probably the right background or care to like want to dive into that. And I, I felt like that really was a turning point too, for me, because I just trusted whatever the doctor said. And I still very much value people working with their doctors and finding someone that listens to you. Um, but I never thought about questioning because it felt so 
authoritative. That's a big, yes. And that is one of the biggest things. And that's the same thing that happened to me. I never questioned when I asked about, you know, having a full hysterectomy and I have this nonchalant attitude sometimes, especially around medicine. Um, and that's a whole different story, but If you're telling me, if you're telling me, you know, this is what we got to do. I, and I'm going, like you said, going to the best and having this type of input, you know, I never really questioned it. And again, Mm -hmm. it is, that's where we, you know, we lose this power. We lose this identity of who we are. And we just kind of hand it in to, to doctors and professionals. And we just kind of go with what they're saying instead of, you know, kind of reasoning and saying, okay, what is it that feels good with me? You know, questioning in that. Yeah. And that is when even today I tell people because now I work with <laughs> the funny part is now I work with reproductive endocrinologists and OBGYNs who are so patient centric focused. They want you to ask. They want you to ask questions. They mm-hmm. want you to. And that wasn't accidental. That's what you attracted. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Good point. I've never thought about that. And that's because the doctors that are caring and patient centric are they, I didn't know this now, you know, again, I'm five years out from it, but they want you to ask questions if they're a really caring and good doctor. And mm-hmm. so I love to just even like when I talk to people about their infertility is just telling them you're not stupid, ask questions, have them explain it to you. They love that. Mm-hmm. If they're a good doctor, they want to nerd out and tell you all of the ways and explain yeah. all of the things to you. And so knowledge is power. And so speak yes. up, you might not want to, and you might feel scared or dumb. like, so to anyone feeling scared or dumb, I had a 30 years of college and didn't know how to track my cycle. So please mm. speak up because no one, and, no one, teaches us. no yeah. one teaches us this. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So then how did you, how, what was the next step in your life? Like what was it <laughs> when you started to question that? What, how did you take this into your hands? So what I did is I started looking at all this research. I found that, you know, IUI did increase the chances. And so I was like, well, that's good to know. And then I came across a paper that was like, ICI and IUI have the same birth rate. And I was like, I've never heard of ICI. What is that? Mm-hmm. And it's intracervical insemination. And so, you know, your cervix is probably an inch and a half or two inches. It depends on the person. Um, but interuterine insemination is a more invasive procedure. They wash the sperm and then they put the sperm directly into the uterus. So they get it closer to the egg and they do that sterilely in a fertility clinic. And that was what I was going to take out the loan for. Mm-hmm. I see I is right at the opening of the cervix. So it's about an inch or two lower. The sperm doesn't need to be washed. When I found this paper that said they have the exact same live birth rate, meaning yeah, there's no difference between them. I went, then I, I actually got more angry. I was like, why did no one offer me this? Mm-hmm. Why, why have I never heard of ICI? And I'm now 13 months into mm. infertility and no one had mentioned this. And I found out that, you know, the LGBTQ plus community has been 
doing this type of insemination for a really long time. And so I was like, let me learn more about what they're doing and how they're doing it. And the research lined up that I was like, why don't we try this? And so I started trying to research what people were actually using mm-hmm. to perform it. I taught college microbiology for 11 years. And so um, when I learned what people were using, it was shocking. Yeah. Um, and so my biggest thing was it, it needed to be sterile to go inside of my body. Right. And I mean, comfort was also a factor. And then it also, it needed to be safe for sperm because I knew that certain plastics aren't sperm friendly and would actually hurt my chances. Mm-hmm. And there was nothing out there that met those two basic criteria, which was also mind blowing to me. Um, and so my husband, by the way, is a mechanical engineer and <laughs> of course, in a perfect in a perfect fitting of things. Um, so we sat down and I was like, I need your help to get your sperm closer to the egg. The first month it didn't work. And then the second month, um, so oh, wait, before you even go to that yeah. word, um, what did you end up creating? So what we created was um, a sterile syringe that has rounded, it's needleless, so it, it's rounded at the end and then sterile collection jar. Um, and then we had worked out, <laughs> of course, I was like, we need to remove all variables. But so we got the sample, we used the syringe and I inseminated at home the first month. Yeah, it didn't, it didn't work. And I was like, I told my husband, let, they were going to do IUI for three months. So let's try for three months. And I'm sure he thought I was crazy at this, (laughs) but, um, talk about, I really did turn our marriage into an experiment at this point. I was like, no, let's tweak some things. And so month two, um, uh, month two, we did the same thing, uh, with the second fertile kit as it's now known. Um, but after 16 months of infertility, my, my daughter was conceived. It was the most, I still remember I was downstairs I have the, I don't know if it's weird. I have the pregnancy test (laughs) from that. Still, I called my husband crying. I was on the bathroom floor just sobbing. And I was like, oh my God, it worked. Oh my God, it worked. And he's like, what? And I'm like, we're pregnant. And he pulled over. He's like, I thought I was going to crash. Like (laughs) he was driving when I called him and he was like, what is wrong? And I'm like, I just kept saying it worked oh my God, it worked. And he's like, stop. And so he actually turned around and came home and we were just sobbing and crying and hugging together. And oh my God. Oh my God. That's amazing. That's amazing. Told you. Yeah. (laughs) If you're not tearing, Mm -hmm. I don't know why, but from the very first moment, that's amazing. That is so amazing. I mean, I never, I never, I never thought I would get to see that second line on the pregnancy test. And so, um, all these little things, the smallest yeah. little things that we seek 
so that we can, you know, have that, that we desire. Oh my gosh. And I, I remember I still, I laid there, I laid on, I called into work and I laid on the couch all day and was like, what do I do? I don't know how to be pregnant. I was like, I felt so fragile. I'm like, if I stand up and then I'm like, did I eat sushi? Did I, you know, like I, I was like, what do I need to do? Um, so my daughter, uh, Lois is now four. She, she is named after my grandma and is just the most beautiful little girl that, Mm-hmm. Um, I was constantly and just so grateful to have her. I can't cut out can't for a second. Imagine. Sorry. If, if having a child without complications is the most amazing thing to experience, I cannot even imagine going through the complications and then having a child. Um, was your pregnancy any different? Did you, I learned, I am not good at growing children, (laughs) (laughs) Um, which is a whole nother layer because I felt guilt. I was finally pregnant. I'm like, I'm supposed to be enjoying this. Um, But I, I honestly didn't. That's a Um, whole, uh, that's a whole other podcast. That's a whole (laughs) other podcast, but my, my daughter's here safely. And then, you know, my son, um, because, because of second time, I got pregnant a second time. Um, the same way. joke, no, in a twist of, I don't know, fertility fate. I was still breastfeeding. I had never gotten my period and I had a four month old in my hands and oh. I threw up one day and went, Oh, this, this feeling I've only felt this feeling one other time. Um, and so, yeah, we jokingly called, you know, my son, Michael Phelps. <laughs> and um, my children are now 380 days apart. So he, he arrived eight weeks early, but everyone, everyone is healthy and happy now. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. That is, that is such a miracle. That is such a story. It is so inspiring so so inspiring oh my goodness so where has this this experience taken you what is it now that like this product that you created where are you now with this talk to us oh man so i started i started telling every or after after i got pregnant ironically is when i started talking about my infertility um but it was as soon as someone would speak up about they were trying, I was like, do you want to hear how I conceived? And I learned that is not the best way to start the conversation. <laughs> um, my husband would be like, don't bring it up. And I was like, I feel like people need to know. Like I, kept, I had felt like I kind of, you know, beat the infertility monster. Yeah. And I wanted to tell everyone. And so, um, I, I, um, after, you know, with COVID in 2021, I was super burned out. Um, and I really wanted to find a way to chase what made my heart feel good. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And so, yeah, it, I didn't realize how much of a passion it was, but I just knew that there were so many people that could be, that could try something like I tried and it might help them. And so I made, um, 200 proof of concept kits to see just Mm -hmm. if I could help. And those sold out in 90 days and I, I just received the, the 22nd pregnancy announcement about a month ago. Oh my God. (laughs) Congratulations. Um, An an amazing feeling to know that you, you know, touching people's changing people's lives. You're giving me goosebumps. Yeah. I try to like diminish it because it's a little bit overwhelming to think about. Um, but, but it uh, is, I mean, Jennifer. Yeah. So we, most of the babies have actually been born. Yeah. You're giving couples a dream, the opportunity Mm. to go beyond, you know, their, personal experiences I mean I just there's no words and and I want you to and I told you this you don't even embrace the change and the impact that you are giving to this world you know and you're at the beginning of this yeah yeah we are change of this oh my god I mean the medicine one of this world I I started to lose yet I haven't embraced it. Yeah. I, I, you know, one of the things is that you don't, and and this is what I noticed from the first time that I spoke with you (laughs) was like, you make something so huge, incredible. um, Look like it's, Oh, it's just this. And, and I, and I just want to say like, you want to embrace this. You are literally putting a stamp just like, freaking Steve Jobs did with, you know, <laughs> Apple, Bill Gates. Like, this is you. You, you. Dr. Jennifer, you know, Henshi. This is <laughs> you making such a huge impact in so many people's lives and lives that are about to change because of your, you know, persistence. And I truly believe, I, Jennifer, I believe this with like all of my heart, like, you had to go through that experience for this to be born. And, and if you think about it, you think about the type of person that you are and the type of person you married, how compatible, <laughs> and how perfect for both of you to create this. Like, that's so freaking priceless. Uh, it's priceless is a great word. Um, one of the first customers I had was this, stranger on the internet that, um, late, late last year sent me a screenshot that just said Jennifer in all caps with exclamation points. And I was like, is that someone that bought my kit? Oh no, what's wrong. And it was just, she sent me six different pregnancy tests and they were all positive. And she goes, I've been trying for two years. And that was the first I didn't even know this person, right? So this is an Instagram message. I didn't know that you could FaceTime on Instagram. (laughs) So I FaceTime her and we're sobbing together. Never even spoken to her. And I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Um, 
Yes. And we have now, she's a dear friend of mine. Um, and so in July this year, uh, her daughter was born on May 26th and oh her, um, they, in July this year, they were coming to a wedding that wasn't too far away from me. And so I still haven't completely processed one of the most rewarding experiences of my life is me and my fertile baby, um, got to hold the second fertile baby and I hope you took a picture. Oh gosh. I'll send you it. It's the, the seven of us sat around in my dining room table and had dinner together and I'm sitting there holding Harper. Like I can't wait to see this beautiful girl, like change the world. And I'm so grateful to be a part, just a tiny part of like her journey. Cause I want to make the world a better place for my daughter and for her daughter. And so we still FaceTime and my daughter Lois is like, Oh baby Harper. And Mm. like, I you know, I call what we're creating our fertile family that I have now 22 nieces and nephews that I'm obsessed with and want to send them all the, like I send them onesies <laughs> and I'm like, what do they want for Christmas? Um, because <laughs> I'm just so grateful that, um, what, what an incredible, that story. I'm part of, part of their story. So tell us how can our listeners support you? Because I know that right now you are in a beautiful journey to make I this am in who decides to start a medical device company? Like, what am I doing? <laughs> so I, after we sold out, I said, you know, I think we're on to something and this feels really good. And I don't know where it's going to lead, but I'm going to chase that feeling because it, you're going to run with it. I'm going to run with it. And so I reached out to the FDA and was like, what do I need to do? to bring this to market. And they were like, we love it. Don't, they didn't say that, they, <laughs> but <laughs> don't quote me on that. But um, the FDA doesn't say love, but <laughs> they, they said, we want you to bring this to market. You just need FDA clearance. And I was like, great. What does FDA clearance cost? And they said a million dollars. I went, oh, oh, all right. <laughs> Let me just go to my, um, <laughs> I say, right, like, <laughs> And so, you know, cried some more and was like, then dusted myself off and how the hell can we do this? And why doesn't this exist? And so I pitched to a company that allows you to crowdfund equity where women can actually, I mean, women and men can own shares of my company um, to pay for this FDA clearance. And mm-hmm. so our our crowdfunding campaign is at startengine.com slash fertile P H E R D A L. Mm-hmm. And, and don't worry, we, listeners, you're going to get this information <laughs> on the description. Thank you. And, um, two days ago, actually we, we hit 400,000 towards our million, which that's an insane thing. Like I, I had no idea. I sat there worried. I was like, okay, I might need to take out a loan to put in $10,000 if no one invests because I'm going to be embarrassed. Mm-hmm. And 
I describe it as I felt like I was running naked down the street, like telling Mm -hmm. everyone that my body didn't work. And instead of like laughing at me, they all came up and hugged me and Mm -hmm. like, yeah, I don't know how else to describe it. It's the most vulnerable I've ever been and the most accepted I've ever felt by so many people and coming from a place where I felt so alone to now feeling like there are all these people. We have 201 investors that have gotten us to this point because people can invest for 250 bucks. And so all of these people so amazing are, are people that have been impacted and get it. And it's just, it's so beautiful. And we are going, we, so we've now started FDA clearance testing and, um, so you need we're going to be on the market. Million. We need yes, to reach a million. Do not, so, doubt Do not doubt it. You're definitely going to be on the market. And I am proud to be part of that. Um, yes, thank you. That is something, you know, you, uh, it's just, it's incredible. Um, so you're at 400,000. You got, to get to a million, is there a time mm-hmm. frame that this has to happen in? Um, 32 days, if anyone wants to keep going. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I'm counting or anything. Um, 32 days. Um, so our campaign's going to close on December 19th. December and 19th. so, yeah, um, I would just appreciate... Well, I appreciate you for having me here just to tell my story for people to not feel alone Um, and appreciate anything that anyone can do to help us get get there. And when we get funding, um, then within, you know, probably 90 days, I think is what it takes the the FDA to review everything. And then we're going to be on the market and you're going to be able to get this without a prescription um we're selling it directly to the people that are struggling um on our website fertile.com um my goal is in you know 3 to 5 years you're going to go anywhere in the world and you're going to see fertile on every pharmacy shelf and people are going to have an affordable way to try to build their family do not doubt it at all i do not doubt it at all look how far you have come you have been an inspiration today And an inspiration that you are for so many that have yet not even, you know, so many that yet don't even know that they will possibly face this. And it just takes the spread of the word. And I am going to make this, you know, out loud and I'm going to post it everywhere for people to hear. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. I'm so I don't know you enough. And it probably doesn't mean anything, but it does make me proud to know you. Don't tell yourself. No, it does. To know you and see, you know, like what you've accomplished and what you're still to accomplish and how amazing. And, you know, this is where I say sometimes we go through these, you know, rock bottom seasons, moments, and we wonder and we question why it's happening to us. And I want just our listeners to understand and know that there are universal laws and the law of polarity. And this is a perfect proof of the law of polarity that where there is dark, darkness and hardship, there's an equivalent amount and more of the opposite, which is abundance and light. And you may not see it at the moment 
that you're in the eye of the storm. But will you see the light? If you continue to move forward, you will see the light. And you are a perfect example of that because what you went through, again, I can't even fathom, but what you went through and what you're about to even experience is going to be insane. It's going to be amazing and priceless. And I, I'm so filled of happiness for you. So filled. Thank you. Now you're making me cry. That was very kind of you. And I likewise am so glad to have met you and connect with you and you're no, not getting so, rid of me anytime soon. I'm so excited no, to absolutely not. help spread your mission too. Thank you, honey. Um, so for our listeners, what would be the last piece of advice that you would give to someone? What would you leave them with? Um, you don't fail if you learn. That is something that I have tried to take in as, like you were saying, one of the dark times of the light. Mm-hmm. Trying to find, you know, the light is that I now realize every month that I felt like I was failing at getting pregnant, I would learn how to better track my cycle. I would learn how, what my body was doing better. I would learn something so that I could grow from it. Mm-hmm. And so if you really take those hard opportunities and say, what possible good thing is there that can come from this? Mm-hmm. Um, it might not be what you expected, but um, It'll it really, be. it really shifts your mind into, okay, this sucks. And you can feel that this sucks, but what can I learn from this experience? And then it's not a failure. Then it's, then it's just a learning and it's just testing. Mm. So good. I always say to my clients, everything is a lesson. Seek the lesson in everything. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's exactly the lesson it. In the experience, because everything is here to teach us that will lead us to the next step. And I, your proof again, you know, everything that you learned led you to the next step, next step. And look where you're at now and where you can, where you're, where you will be in the next, you know, year or so and in the future. It has been a complete pleasure having and talking to you, having you here, Jennifer. I, um, I really look forward to having many more conversations with you and Mm -hmm. my very best to get this out and get you, um, get you the sponsors and the help, the investors, um, to make this happen. I don't doubt it for a second that it is going to be, um, as successful as I can only imagine it can be. So you're so you're a beautiful it's, it's, person inside and out. I'm very grateful that thank you, you've honey. given me the opportunity to share my story. Absolutely. Absolutely. So till the next time, thank you. I hope that all of our listeners have taken this, share this. This is the, every podcast has its purpose and it's to be shared. This has even uh, a stronger emphasis and reason to share it, share it with your friends and uh, let's make this happen. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. Follow us for next week's inspirational guest. You can follow me, Karen Zavravera, in all your social media platforms or email me at leapandbelieve at gmail.com.